this morning on Memorial Day, and I want to thank you for being here. This morning, I want to invite you to come with me on a journey that I've been part of for the last three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, maybe. Several weeks, I encountered this verse which said, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, and, and God was dealing with me in many different areas in my life, and when Pastor Brian asked me to speak to you today, I decided I was going to share my journey. My journey today is not a one, two, three sermon, although it's got three key points that I want to share with you, but it's not something that you will leave with as far as the practical things on what to do. But if I am able to raise a level of awareness of who you are, of what is God doing in your life, and where is He taking you in this journey, and you're able to embrace this journey more freely, then I've accomplished my purpose. Love yourself. Sounds egotistical, maybe. Sounds egocentric, but it's not. In the Old Testament, it's mentioned once, and in the New Testament, it's mentioned seven times. Leviticus chap, uh, chapter 19, 18 says, Never seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Matthew nineteen nineteen, Love your neighbor? That's when you come in. As yourself. I don't scream as much as pastor. I don't spit as much as pastor. So I need you to work with me. Smile at me big and let me know you're with me. So when I ask you to say something, you say it and you smile. It's really good. And we're all going to get along really good. You get a lot out of this message. Matthew twenty two thirty nine. It says, love your neighbor. Excellent. Mark twelve thirty one. love your neighbor. Luke ten twenty seven. love your neighbor. Romans 13, 9, love your neighbor. You're, you're slowing down on me. Galatians 5, 14, love your neighbor as yourself. In James 2, 8, love your neighbor. So we've established already in the first few minutes that it is important to love your neighbor as yourself. So although it is not a condition, and it is clear that the commandment is not love yourself, the commandment is love your neighbor, but it's given you a metric, it's given you a, 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 a something to compare against, and it's love them as you love yourself, which makes it relevant, makes it important to get a definition of what does love yourself mean. And I want you to reflect on that. What does love yourself mean? It doesn't mean go to Tahiti. It doesn't mean get a larger house. I'll give you some cues. It doesn't mean go to the spa. That's pampering yourself. Loving yourself is something else. And I want you to think about what does it mean to love yourself. There's a controversy. When you look at this concept, and, and people say, well, it is assumed that you love yourself. But I've met a lot of people that do not love themselves the way they should. It is not self-love commanded. Well, some say hardly, but I think Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 kind of balances and brings biblical balance. It says, regard one another as more important than yourselves. We love ourselves to direct our lives outward and upward. We love ourselves to direct our lives outward and upward. There are two kinds of self-love that I want to share with you this morning. One is what I call sickly love. 
(laughs) And we often refer to this one as egotism or individualism, and its practitioners, the people that are focused on that, are emotionally hungry for power. They are starving for affirmation and driven to use and impose anybody, including you, to pursue the decision to become someone that serves them and someone that guides them. That is sickly self-love. But there's also a biblical kind of self-love. It's the correct kind of self-love, which means making a commitment to valuing who you are, to valuing your life enough to pursue the decision to become a person of substance. I want you to say that word with me, substance. Substance. Substance comes from a Latin root of two words, substantia. Substantia means being, substantia means essence, and the word substate. Substate, which means to stand firm. And those of us that are Christian know that the only place where you could stand firm is on the rock of Jesus Christ. So I want you to begin to develop an awareness of self that is connected and intricacy, intricately connected with Jesus Christ. The right kind of self-love causes us to step outside of everyday values of things like economics, of things like busyness, and of things like goal-driven days and pressures of getting everything right in our lives. There is nothing new about telling you today that sometimes we feel like a number. Sometimes we feel, instead of individuals, like the rat race or a rat in a maze or moving parts in a machine. Those are declarations that, as Americans, we have made. Religious institutions do not make this any easier. Legalism and conformism makes part of stepping out of the norm even more difficult. But 2,000 years ago, the Christian faith encourage us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Along with the sanctity of of loving others, loving the strangers, you have the instruction of loving self. And that's when I venture on that quest, what does it mean to love self? And today is an approximation. It's not a one, two, three. I'll let you know at the beginning. I'm just sharing with you part of my journey of where I've been, what makes sense to me, and how do I compare and take my experience, my struggles, and my challenges against sound theology. Amen? Amen. We are born with certain necessities, certain needs that are, that are there, that are dormant, that are latent in our, in our personalities. And among, among these inborn characteristics, there's a need for a system. We need a system of orientation. We need a system where we could devote ourselves that provides meaning, that provides purpose, that provides and supports our lives. And we usually call such a system religion or a concept of God. This system helps us face our problems. This system helps us create a vision of the world around us. And this system creates, helps us create opportunities on how we see the future. It brings joy, and it connects ourself and who we are with the greater world that surrounds us. There is an issue with self-love, though, and it's the culture today. The aspect of self-love means that we pay careful attention to everyday aspects of our lives. The question is not if we have a religion or not, if we have a system of reference or not, is what kind of religion do we have? 
as our society has lost touch with the transformational spiritual aspects of religion that lead to higher levels of understanding self so then I could reach out and recognize that I'm very limited, we are left ourselves open to idolatry. By idolatry, what I mean is having human-made secular values that replace the essence and the greatness of God and the direction of God in who we are and who He wants us to become. Having enviable or powerful reputation becomes a God or a religion. Achievement or material and sexual gratification, which poses us and become our religion without us knowing it. Our indoctrination into this code starts very, very early. When we see our kids trying to wear from Abercrombie to Tommy Hilfiger and they're paying such close attention to IQ scores and we begin to pay so much attention to report cards, IQ scores, what they wear, what they don't, we begin to recognize that there are certain things that we need to do and certain things that we need to achieve that are acceptable. The media, on the other hand, portrays the successful person as very organized, as committed, as on the go, as in control, with a complicated lifestyle that acquires a lot of self-validation. In this world, brand names are important. What we possess, what we wear, our opinions, mostly of ourselves, become based not on substance. God wants us to be people of substance. People that are made of gold, people that are not hollow, or people that are filled with lead. But people that are filled with gold, and that gold is purified through the process in the journey of life. But we stop being, being people of substance when we compare ourselves with the changing images of the media. So based on advertising, we decide what we wear, where we want to live, what kind of car we want to drive, what should we be doing when we're 20, 30, 40, 50, and 60 How much money for retirement? They make us envious. They cause us to feel that we are dropping behind if we are not living to the expectations or the capacity that others are living with. It's a little bit what what Mayor was saying about his lawn. He spent all that money and all that effort to make sure he had a lawn as green and as pretty as his neighbor did. That's not the only dimension of our lives that we compare ourselves with the wrong model. There are many other dimensions in the choices we make, the decisions we make about who are we comparing ourselves with. I want to make three key points that lead us into the area of what happens when we replace substance with other standards. Number one is building an image. And I want to refer you to the third chapter of the book of Daniel, where we see the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was self-centered. Nebuchadnezzar did not only impacted his palace, but he developed a philosophy of we are who we are, and outside us, there's nobody else. I want us to read that chapter because there's a, there's a illustration that wanna, I want to pull out of that story as he built a statue that it was eight stories high. And as he built that statue, there were certain reflections of the Babylonian society that reflect who we are in our Western society, that will bring a level of awareness of who we are and how we are adapting, copying, and incorporating into the definition of self-love that we currently have versus the definition of self-love that God has. 
King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps and the prefects and governors and advisors and treasurers and judges, magistrates and all of the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then they herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And verse 7 tells us that therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and all kinds of music, all peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar had an idea. He had an idea of building this statue, a statue of eight stories high. But the interesting thing about this statue is that this, would, this was not just any statue. And there's prophetic meaning to each of the components of that statue that I'm not going to get into today because the point I want to highlight out of this story has to do with the purpose that it gave to the people of Babylon by building that statue. It had two dimensions to it. Number one is Nebuchadnezzar had an ego not as big as a house, He had an ego that was eight stories high. When he saw people bowing down before that statue, it was not just that they were bowing before that statue. They were bowing before who he was, his authority, his ego, his direction, his philosophy of what standard people needed to follow, what they needed to compare themselves against. So Nebuchadnezzar was about building an image. Nebuchadnezzar invited a list of VIPs, there were words in there I couldn't even pronounce in the English language, of the titles. What makes me think these were not just people that he picked in alphabetical order so that they could attend the opening ceremony and unveiling of the statue. It tells me that he picked the VIPs of the nation. People that are trying to build an image for themselves, they love when important people bow before them. They love when they get the call of that leader. They love it when the boss takes notice of who they are. They love it when a pastor calls them and and asks them to be a volunteer versus if somebody else, the ministry director will call them and ask them to be part of the same ministry. They said, no, Pastor Brian called me for that ministry. Pastor Brian called me directly. Because why? People that are building an image, I'm not saying that's you. I'm talking about my own journey, right? Any coincidence, any similarity? We're going to change the names to protect the innocent. But we're talking about building an image here. We're talking about what some of the things that we go through in our minds that nobody else, and we look humble on the outside, but we are building an image. When people tell us, you are so honest, and then we begin to find stuff to tell other people to stretch our honesty. 
Because we like it when they tell us, you are so honest, I love it. And now you begin to look for things to make you even more honest, building an image. There's a fine line between excellence and building an image. And the Holy Spirit will guide you, but there are times that our humanity will cross that line. In chapter 3 of Daniel, he invited all those VIPs of the kingdom, military men, advisors, administrators, treasurers, judges, the people that had a public image. The list of invitees is what we would call in Hollywood the A-list, only for VIPs. And Isaiah chapter 47 verse 8 tells us, I mean, 47, 8 and 10 actually, tells us something important about Babylon. It says, I am and there is none besides me. That was the way Babylon thought. But a lot of times, I think our Western culture thinks very similar to what Babylon says. I am and there is none besides me. You would think they're speaking about God. But Isaiah was speaking about a country. Isaiah was speaking about the empire. They were it and no one else besides them. And they made it known through the statues that he was building. He was declaring to the world, I am and there's none besides me. Our society today makes similar, has similar value systems with Babylon. Making bow before the statue. People bow before the statue was making people bow before a philosophical system. You could spend a lot of time building your image. You could spend a lot of time building your image and not loving yourself. But there's a lot of another side of that coin. And that's what I call building a humble image. There are people that spend as much time as some do building an image as others do feeling sorry for themselves. You could take verse... 8 and 10 for the, from the 47th chapter of Isaiah, I am and there is none besides me. And we could spend enough energy and time building a poor image of ourselves that we accumulate so many concerns that it can reach eight stories high. I am stupid and there's no one stupid than I. I am so out of luck and there's no one that has more bad luck than I do. I am pitiful and there's no one more pitiful than I. I am so unfortunate and no one is more unfortunate than I. I'm so out of shape, and, and although it may be true, but don't stay and dwell on it. And there's no one more out of shape than I am. I'm so broke, and none of my friends are as broke as I am. They are worshiping their poor self-esteem. Not loving self, recognizing that God has made you a new creature, and that the sides of you that are dark and that nobody knows about and that you haven't shared with, no, with anyone are as important and they want to be, God has redeemed them as much as the public side of the image that you're insistently trying to let others have of you. Point number two. How many are still with me? Okay, good. From building an image to being authentic. That's the next thing I want to talk to you. Wanting to be happy and normal not authentic. Wanting to be happy and normal, but not authentic. Our society conditions us, yet Jesus for sure was looking for a more comprehensive life for us. His vision focused more on living a life that had meaning and purpose and one that could be fully experienced, including pain and sorrow, than being normal. 
Jesus taught us that our ability to understand and endure true suffering is necessary in order to open us to the experience of joy and fulfillment. Authentic actions disclose who we are to other people. Sometimes we spend too much time, too much time not being normal. The love, to love ourselves, we need to know ourselves. There are different levels of knowing ourselves. Did you know that? The first level of knowing yourself is, is when you are growing up. You do basically what others do in your family, in your household, and then you learn to do what others do in your school. So you dress like them, you talk like them, you develop their same accent, you develop some of the same things, you develop some of the same interests. You don't even know why you're doing it. You're, you think you're just having fun. My kids ask me, well, why do we got to go to school? And the first level of, level of awareness is because everybody else goes to school. The second level of awareness is because there's deep learning in the process, and maybe we learn that somewhere else. You may have a PhD in psychology, and you may, learn, you may learn about the complexity of human behavior and acknowledgement of self and awareness of self, but that doesn't make you an expert on knowing yourself. Like you may have a PhD in theology, and you may know all about God, but you may not know God. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay. So first level is you do it because everybody else is doing it. That's how we all start life. And that's how we get married and we buy a car and we buy a house. Well, because that's the kind of house that society expects me to have and the kind of clothes they expect me to wear and the kind of car they expect me to drive. So we are trying to be normal. Say normal. Normal. We try to be normal. We spend most of our lives trying to be normal until then one day you become a Christian and God says, well, I don't want you to be normal. God probably thinks, I'm all for the American dream, but there is a world that's lost without me. And sometimes those two things don't go together. That's when people think, well, I must be facing midlife crisis, you know, and they're only 30, or they may be 60 and think, well, this is a late one, but <laughs> a level of dissatisfaction with the status quo, with what they fought so hard to be normal, to fit in, to be a part of. And that's when religion, but more than religion, spirituality comes in. So I did what everybody else was doing. Then I learned pretty much the system and what everybody else does. And then I learned I'm an individual within this group. And I don't have to be, have groupthink. I don't have to be normal. I don't have to do what everybody else does. God has an individual plan for me that is part of the master plan of redemption. But it just doesn't fit into what some people expect me to do. When I was about seven years old, I learned very quickly from my aunts and uncles, the normal question when they would see me was, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, a carpenter, a mechanic. But I learned after a few times that if I said a pilot or a doctor, that would get me a really big smile, it would get me candy, and it would get me sometimes money. So... What do you think I thought and I said I wanted to be for many, many years when somebody asked me, what do you want to be? I had no clue what doctors did. I knew pilots fly, but that was about the only thing. I just knew I got good feedback. I got good reinforcement. And that's how most of us live our lives, but we don't realize how much that affects the decisions we make. That affects what kind of ministry we go into. That affects career choices in our lives. It's not until we realize that we are an individual and that that individual has a unique purpose and a unique destiny that sometimes doesn't fit the rest of the expectations. So that was part of, in this journey, 
of loving self, one of the things I discover, wanting to be happy and normal, but not authentic. Authentic actions disclose who we are to other people, yet fear keeps us away from disclosing that, pursuing that, and achieving the fullness of what God has for your life. To love ourselves, we need to know ourselves. Depend, level three and four of knowing ourselves is, is recognizing it, that you're an individual, and then reaching that level of actually delivering. Not a whole lot of people reach that level. Jesus did, and he's the master at it. And he's, I mean, he, he really fulfilled every ounce, every inch of his destiny, of his purpose. Trying to work out an identity is what we're talking about. Works with models because we have, we have something to identify with, and that's what we do. We find somebody or a group or a person or, or, or a deity, and we connect with that. What is interesting and perplexing to me about it is that frequently uh, it comes at a time when we are identity, our, our identities seem secure. You think, well, everything is going well in my life. I have the job I want. I have the career I want. I have, I have all the things I more or less wanted that I've been fighting for all these years, and there's a level of dissatisfaction inside of you. Little do we realize that instead of preparing for a sure highway into the future, we have prepared the ground for our next transformation. When these event, events come along, we have a choice to make. You continue to be the pastor, the minister, the doctor, the teacher, the lawyer, the homemaker, that typical normal people become and pay the price of sacrificing the destiny that God had for your life, or you pay the price for normalcy. Self-love means paying the price and acknowledging, God, where am I? Now that I've recognized that I am separate from the collective, that I am separate from groupthink, and that I am an individual with a destiny that is part of your plan. Christ's example of his life teaches us that we should live our lives to the fulfillment of our gifts, our potentials, our destinies, as truly Christ lived to the end to which he had been born. Abraham had to leave his country. The disciples had to leave homes and their jobs. Abraham, Moses, Ruth, Peter, Paul, and so many others. You could go through the, every passage of Scripture and find somebody that decided not to be normal, that decided they didn't need to fit in to fulfill what God had for them. I want us to move you to, to point number three, which is loving self is embracing your story. Embracing your story. Carl, Carl Rogers, an American psychologist, once said, there is no, no experience that I have had that I cannot share with myself. No fear I cannot understand. No suffering that I cannot care about because I am human. That phrase really, really encompasses contra-culture, against culture, set of core values that you develop when you are able to separate yourself from the group, from the collective. And yet radically, achievement-oriented people, bottom line, society, find it difficult to understand that it's hard to have a deep sense of love of ourselves, to have compassion, to suffer, to, to accept our wounded parts, and to deal with our failures and our transgressions. What I'm specifically talking about here is not forgiveness. 
When you come to Jesus Christ, He affords you forgiveness. He forgives your past and your sins. What I'm talking about here is a new level of wholeness. There may be issues in your life that you're still carrying that don't allow you to love yourself, that you are not confronting, and that you have decided, you know what, that promiscuity, that failed marriage, that that dishonest or cruel act, that the fact that I robbed somebody, or, or the fact that, that there are sides of you and I that nobody knows, yet do you know that they affect every decision, every reaction, and every emotion that you have today? And God is saying, this is not about forgiveness. I already forgave you. And we keep blaming the devil. And we keep saying, the devil keeps keep bringing my past up. What if it's not the devil and it is the Holy Spirit that wants to bring wholeness into your life, that wants to bring healing into your life, and that wants you to declare it, confess it, let that person know, return it if it's something you stole, let, let your spouse know about that, that adulterous relationship you had within this marriage? What about if, if you expose it, And that wound begins to heal because you've kept it covered for so many years and because religion said, well, that was not acceptable. And you felt that you you captured the forgiveness of God, yet you are still struggling with it. So levels of intimacy are affected. Career choices are affected. Fulfilling your destiny is affected. Relationships that you are, are and are not able to establish with others are affected. Simple things like attending a small group. Well, I don't want to go because. Usually that because is because we're hiding something. It's because there is something secret deep inside of us that hasn't healed. Loving yourself means let me confront the issues that are dark of my story that I keep pushing aside and telling the devil keeps bringing them up. And let the Holy Spirit bring them up and let me confess, let me face. Don't try to do them all at once because I don't think you can. (laughs) And that's why I said this is not a matter that at the end of the service you come to the altar and it's an attitude change. I'm not talking about an attitude change. I'm sharing with you a journey where you embrace your dark side. Not not to to develop a a poor self-image. But you develop the dark side to say, God, you redeem me completely. But there are certain things I need to do that you will not do for me. Like going and asking for forgiveness. Like going and confessing. And you will experience a new level of freedom that you've never experienced before. When you're confronted with your past, put it to rest. Put it to rest by bringing it out into the open. Don't let that taunt you and haunt you, persecute you for the rest of your life, because there will be a lot of people in heaven that are saved, but they live their lives not as whole individuals. They didn't live a whole life. We didn't live a whole. I'm not claiming that I live a whole life, but I'm on that journey. For many, many years, I pushed it aside, and that was the side of me. I didn't want to deal with it. But you have to accept. You have to confess. You have to open it up. And then what else is there? Nobody could accuse you. (laughs) And if they want to still be with you, they'll be with you. There's no shame. There's no fear. These emotions that we constantly deal with in our journey that are holding us back from the fullness of what we have or what we should have 
It's part of loving yourself. We could continue to live and be normal and come to church and do the stuff that every normal person does, but God is saying, I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper and know yourself. Work in those areas that I have redeemed you and that I gave my son for the fullness of it. The more tightly we hold our secrets, the more we begin to fear life in general. We become anxious, hypervigilant. We become perfectionist, people who fear making any kind of mistake and being found out. Forgiving ourselves often sounds easy on the surface. Receiving forgiveness from God may also sound easy. But when it comes to the kind of things we keep secret that we lock away because they scare us or they consume us or they affect our self-respect and the image of we, that we have of ourselves, that is not the image of Christ, which is what we need to be striving for. That's the part we work through. That is the part of the journey that you embrace as a whole. I want you to stand to your feet. and I want to invite Pastor Bear to join me on the platform and the team. And I want to invite you today and increase our capacity to genuinely love anyone, whether it is your spouse, your kids, someone in your small group, people in your job. Your capacity to love anybody is directly related to your ability to love yourself. I hope that today we've created a a level of awareness in you that, that arouses the need to go deeper into who you are, into the, the human being that God created you to be. Whether ourselves or someone else, love requires respect and courtesy. And when those things are absent, they, the situation is based on power and not on love. Loving ourselves is a process. Loving ourselves is not just a change in attitude. That's only your first step. But while there's no exact formula, we've seen that your relationship with self will grow as you cultivate that relationship with self. There's people that are very busy cultivating ministry, cultivating church life, cultivating careers, and cultivating success and image and building statues. But they're not cultivating the relationship with self. And that's why they don't understand what God's doing in their lives. That's why it's so hard to define direction. And I'm not saying that guarantees immediate clarity, but it surely helps on that journey to deal with the things that God had put before you and the circumstances that make you whole. What brings wholeness to your life? Pain doesn't bring wholeness to your life unless you deal with that pain. The dark side of you brings wholeness when we're dealing with it. Self-love evolves in the same way we build love with other people. I invite you today to uncover, discover, unveil potentials that you currently have in your life that you don't know. Knowing ourselves, loving ourselves brings enthusiasm. And a clear sense of how intensely we are loved by Jesus Christ. How intensely we are loved by God. It's not about building an image for ourselves. It's about becoming more like Christ. It's accepting the challenge of normalcy. 
What is God calling you to do next? But your sense of normalcy doesn't allow you to do it. Because you think at your age, with your expectations, with your career, with the investment you've made, with all these things that others have told you where you need to be now today. Because they mark it. By age 30, you need to be here. By 35, you need to be here. You need to achieve these markers. By 50, you need to have this much in retirement. I mean, you go through the list and you'll get a headache. But we're paying more attention to what advertisement says, what society says, than what God says. We trust God with our eternal security, but don't trust Him with our social security, right? That's what one of the missionaries said recently. And that spoke to my heart. Because we figured that by this age, we need to have everything planned out. And God is saying, I'll use anything and everything in your life to fulfill my purpose, my destiny, and my kingdom. But the things we got to recognize is the American dream doesn't always connect with the God dream. And God has a, God, a dream that is a God-sized dream. I want to invite our prayer partners to join me here at the front. And if any part of this message has spoken into your life, we'd like to, for you to join us in prayer. I would like you to come. Our pastors will be ready to pray for you as well. And uh, I want you to come and reflect. If you want to stay where you're at, for a few moments of reflection, there will not be a formal benediction, but you could continue and get into the rush traffic and reach the next restaurant again. But I also believe that God is wanting to go deeper in your life. That's wanting to go deeper in your heart. And I want to invite you today. If you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, today is the day. He is the only way. He is the truth. He is the light. If you want a personal relationship with Jesus, I invite you to connect with one of these people. They'll, they'll, they would love to pray for you. There's, there's nothing more exciting for us than to pray for somebody that wants to say, I want to build that level of self-love, but the first step is, is knowing Jesus Christ. I invite you to come. And, and if you have someone that's sick, if you're sick in your body, come. They'll, they'll love to pray for you. They'll love to pray. And if there's an area of your journey that you want to, you want, you want it to be prayed for, whether it's self-image, whether it's dark secrets in your life, and you want to take that first step and you don't know where to start, the Holy Spirit will lead you. He didn't leave us alone here. He didn't say, go love yourself and go know yourself and, and, and goodbye, I'll see you later. He said, I'll send you someone that's really good. That's great. And it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He's your comforter. He's your counselor. He's your guide. He's, he's your strength. He's your everything. But you got to take that first step. you got to take that first step, whether you're 16 or 94. God has something extraordinary for your life. Don't fit into the normal. Deal with your past. I want to thank you for being here with us. There will be no formal benediction. But spend time. Spend time if you need to. And if you need to head out, don't, be, don't feel guilty. Be blessed. And we'll, we'll pray that you'll come back next week. Pastor Brian will be here. We love you. And thank you again for taking time on this Memorial Day to be with us. God bless you and we love you.